Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Furthermore, Rahab teaches us that part of having great faith is working. We can't just say we fear the Lord and not show it in our actions or in our daily lives. Um, most of you who know me here, if I say that I love camping, you would expect to see me at Big Reedy or some other campground on a regular basis. Sidebar for y'all that I don't like camping. <laughs> um, you know, but when we talk all day about what we will do for the Lord, but if we don't put it into action, our talking is in vain. God has and has, or had and has, great plans for his children. And sometimes the individuals we think couldn't possibly help us, God says they're perfect. That includes me and you. Rahab only knew that she wanted to save herself and her family. She had no clue what God had in store for her. In that moment, Rahab didn't care about her lifestyle. She didn't care that she wasn't a Jew. She didn't care what other people thought about her at that moment. All she knew was the God of Israel has great power, and she wanted to be shown his grace and mercy. Like Rahab, we have all done things that we are not proud of. We all have a past, and even in the present, we have challenges that we are facing. So today, I want to share with you five practical ways that we can receive freedom from our past and even our present and allow God to use us for his glory. So the first one is repent. Make like Elsa and let it go. <laughs> In 2 Chronicles 33, 1 through 20, we read about Manasseh, who became the king over Israel, or became the king over Jerusalem at the age of 12. And at the beginning of his reign, Manasseh did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. The Bible says that he had detestable practices. He set up altars for, idol, for idol, idolatry worship. He bowed down and worshiped the stars of the sky and even built altars to all the stars in the sky. He practiced child sacrifice on his own sons, witchcraft, and sorcery. Manasseh angered God with all that he did, and in fact, in verse 9 of 2 Chronicles 33, it is said that Manasseh did worse evil than the nations before who caused the Israelites to go astray. And we know that Israelites have been up under some wicked kings, but to be an individual in the Bible that has said that you were worse than everyone that came before you, that's, that's pretty bad. So God brought the king of Assyria against Manasseh in all Jerusalem. And when Manasseh realized he had messed up, he called on God to save them. And that same God, that same God that was angry with Manasseh, heard his cry and he saved him. And Manasseh repented. He turned from false idols, got himself and Jerusalem straight, and only worshiped the God of Israel. 2 Chronicles 33, 14 through 17. And even Manasseh, with his checkered past, can be found in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew 1.10. Manasseh was the most wicked king in Judah's history, and through repentance, he received freedom from his past. What about the prodigal son over in Luke 15.11-32? He took his inheritance, left home, and had, the, and had the time of his life living out in the world. <coughs> Until he hit rock bottom. No money, no food, no friends. 
He had to hire himself out just to make men's eat or make ends meet, and apparently that wasn't even enough because he was willing to eat the delicacies of pig slaughter. If offered, that is. But the Bible tells us in Luke 15, 16, no one gave him anything. The Bible says in verse 17 that when he came to his senses, when he realized, he knew he had to make a change. He knew he needed to turn around and go home to his father. Now, before we continue with this point, I, I think it's important that we understand or notice what both Manasseh and the prodigal son had in common. And that is godly sorrow. And we want to look at really quick just godly sorrow versus worldly sorrow. If you can look at 2 Corinthians 7.10 really quick. It reads, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Both men felt sorry about the choices they had made. They also realized it wasn't enough to just feel bad about it. They had to do something about it. They allowed their mistakes to point them towards God and truly repent. Now, I'm sure we know plenty of people who feel bad about their wrongdoings and have not repented. They want freedom for their, from their past, but don't seek out the help of the one who can save them. Instead, they might just mope around and sing, woe is me, and you know that doesn't have to be. Worldly sorrow allows us to acknowledge our sins, allows us to acknowledge our sins, but not receive freedom from them. From them. Worldly sorrow is unfortunately what caused Judas to hang him. Matthew 27, 3 through 5. Matthew 27, 3 says that when Judas saw when, G, when Judas saw Jesus condemned, he changed his mind. Judas had the sorrow, but he allowed his sin to consume and overwhelm him, instead of asking for the Savior's forgiveness. When we look to God for forgiveness and allow godly sorrow and his righteousness to consume us, his law on sin rings loud in the forefront of our minds. It allows us to move past our past if we allow God to do what we know that he can do in our lives. Has anybody in here ever seen the movie called The Blind Side? Yes? Okay. So we all know the concept of the movie. It's about a young man named Michael Orr who didn't have the best um, life growing up. And so there are two individuals in the movie, or this family, Leanne Tui and Sean Tui. And one night, pictured in the movie, it's depicted that Sean or not Sean, I'm sorry. Michael was walking home and it was raining and it was wet. And Leanne says two words to her, her husband when she sees Michael walking. Turn around. And now for Michael, it has a happy ending. The two, um, but what, what would his life have been like had Leanne not said those two words? Turn around. The Tui family eventually adopted Michael. They invested their time and attention and encouraged Michael in every aspect of his life. And in 2009, Michael was the first round NFL draft pick for the Baltimore Ravens. When we make the decision to, to turn around and walk towards God, our lives will be changed forever and for the better. We too are adopted into a family, John 1, 12 through 13. But to all who did receive him, believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. God invests in us, Romans 5, 5, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. 
when we make the decision to turn around and walk towards God, we will be encouraged. Isaiah 41.10, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will hold on to you with my righteous right hand. God knows we all have a past. He knows everything. Psalm 139, one through six. But when we make the choice to turn around and look to God to repent of our past and let it go, we can have a new hope and a new beginning in Christ. Second Corinthians 5, 17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Number two, you gotta be able to forgive yourself. Uh, 1 Timothy 1, 13 through 16, Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus has come into the world to save sinners of who I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. Now those are the words of Paul written to his son in the faith, Timothy. And we know the story of Paul. Tall, tall. Paul persecuted the church, he killed the Christians, and he was taught the wrong things, but he went hard because he thought he was doing what was right. And you know, I imagine it must have been difficult for Paul to forgive himself of his past and all the pain and torment he brought on God's people. And eventually, the individuals who were shortly thereafter become, would become his brothers and sisters in the Lord. But if Paul wanted to be all that he could be for God, if he wanted to keep his focus on the things above, he had to forgive himself because God already did. Forgiving ourselves can be a hard task though because sometimes our past sins are so embedded in our minds, we can't seem to forget them. And sometimes, although we have made a mistake years ago, we can still be living with the consequences of our past actions today. Think about when David slept with Bathsheba. He committed a great evil against the Lord. That's what 2 Samuel 12, 9 says. And because of what he had done, the prophet Nathan told David that the sword would never depart from his house. David repented and God forgave him, but he would still have to deal with the consequences, consequences of his actions. When I was prepping this lesson, I came across a YouTube video about a former Army veteran named Bud. And Bud was drafted into the Army when he was 19 years old. And as you all would know, in the Army, he had certain orders to follow. So while he was in the Army, at the age of 19, he took a life. And he said, although I had a duty, although I was given strict rules on what to do, taking that life didn't make it easy. And so one day, Bud decides that I can't live with my actions anymore. I can't, I can't deal with the past of my sins. I cannot let it go. And so he decided that he was gonna take his life. But thankfully, his neighbor saw him walking into the backyard with the gun in his hand and she immediately called 911. When 911 got there, they told her his neighbor, you know he said he saved his life. To which she responded, no I didn't, God did. Bud was willing to end his life because he couldn't let go of his past sins. The Lord referred to David as a man at the God's own heart, 1 Samuel 13 through 14. 
And even with David's sin and causing his family's life to be in shambles, God forgave him. And David forgave himself. Think about Psalm 51. That's a prayer from David for restoration. He asked God to be gracious and merciful towards him. Wash my guilt away and cleanse me in verses 1 through 2. Blot out my rebellion. If we want to forgive ourselves like Paul, like David, and even like Bud, there are a few things we need to do. First of all, we need to own up to our mistakes. We did them, and there's no hiding from them. So once we let go of self-denial, it will clear a path for God to take control of our hearts. Think about Psalm 73, 26. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Secondly, think on things above. I can't forgive myself if I allow my mind to be clouded with the cares of this world. Remember Judas. Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if anything is excellent, and if anything is praiseworthy, think about these things. Pray. And that seems like such a small thing, but it's such a big thing. Pray. There is no sin too great in our lives that we cannot pray to God about it, and he will help us overcome it. Past burdens are not easy to carry, but with God, our load can be lightened. And we've heard this verse all this weekend. Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me. Because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. The other thing we can do is talk about it. Nothing is, I love talking. And so, nothing makes me feel better about talking. And it's good to know that I have friends that I have I can confide in, because I love my husband. I think he's the best thing smoking. But when I talk to him, sometimes he wants to give me a solution. I don't want a solution. <laughs> I don't want a solution. I just want you to listen. Let me vent. Okay? And, you know, if you feel like you don't have anybody to vent to and you feel like you need to pay for it, I'm not judging you. I think that's great, too. But I will say this. Before you go pay somebody, look to your sisters in Christ. Find somebody in the congregation that you can talk to because they are on the same journey with you. We all got messed up lives. Nobody in here is perfect. We come in here like we got it together, but we don't. We are winging it on a prayer. Okay? So don't think that everyone is. Look, just look around. Just look. No, look around. Seriously. <laughs> look around. These are your sisters. These are the individuals that you are going to be in heaven with. These are the individuals who are walking the same path that we are walking. And if we can't confide in each other, God help us all. Because we are struggling, and we all need help. You can pay for it, but why, when you have free advice from all your sisters right here, who may have even gone through or be going through the same thing that you were going through? But you won't know unless you take the time to talk to them and get to know them. 2 Corinthians 1, 4-5 through 5 says, He comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in affliction, are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Number three, we need to receive God's forgiveness. So now that we have dealt with forgiving ourselves, let's discuss receiving God's forgiveness. There are many verses in the Bible that remind us that God is ready and willing to forgive us. You can think about Hebrews 8.12, 
for I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I'll remember their sins no more. Or even 1 John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You guys remember the story of Jonah? And how God told Jonah to go to Nineveh. And Jonah didn't want to go. And so he jumps on this boat, and then he gets thrown overboard. And then he's swallowed <laughs> up in the belly of the fish. And then he's down in the belly of the fish, and he prays, God, deliver me. And so the fish vomits Jonah onto the earth. And God comes to Jonah a second time and tells Jonah to go to Nineveh. And so this time, Jonah listens. I imagine, you know, being in the belly of a fish might do that to you. <laughs> so, so he goes. But you know what's interesting and what I thought about? Sometimes the spirit of Jonah is not far from us. When God, when God was willing to forgive the people of Tarshish, Jonah tells them, tells God, this is exactly why I didn't want to go to Tarshish in the first place. I knew that you would forgive the people because you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. Well, I would imagine so, Jonah. He just allowed the fish to spit you up, so, yeah. But seriously, though, sometimes the spirit of Jonah is not far from us. We read and we study our Bibles, we hear lessons about God and his unconditional love of how merciful he is. And we know that he is a forgiving God, but some, for some reason, we can't wrap our minds around why he would forgive someone like me. It's because he loves us. That's it. There's no rocket science to it. He loves you and me. Look what he did with his only son. He sacrificed him for you and me so that we could have our sins forgiven and our names written in the book of life, Revelation 2012. This past February, Hiram and I were in Florida and we learned about a brother in Christ of ours that had recently passed. And it was shocking because we were expecting to see him. But what was even more shocking about his passing was the fact that he previously had not taken care of himself like he should have. And so he was blessed with an organ. And he kept telling the people he was not worthy of that organ. He didn't think that he deserved it because he didn't, he didn't previously take care of himself like he should. And I don't know Mark's last feelings or anything like that, but I pray to God that he didn't, he didn't leave this world thinking that he wasn't worthy of God's forgiveness because God tells us that it is. James 1.17 even says that every good, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God forgives because he can, he's the best at it, and he wants to. Nobody likes when somebody holds a grudge against them, right? So why do we sometimes feel as if God is holding grudges against us? Why do we sometimes act as if he is just waiting for us to slip up and make another mistake? I want you to listen to what God says about himself in Exodus 34, 6 through 7. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Keeping steadfast love for keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generations. These are God's own words about Himself. God cannot lie. It's not that He won't lie, or He chooses not to. He can't. 
That's the very nature of who he is. Numbers 23, 19. 23, 19. You ever meet someone or, or come across someone and they're just really good at something, right? And what do you say about them? They're a what? They're a natural. They're a natural, right? That's God. He is only good. He can't be anything other than good and righteous. So when he tells us that he will remember our sins no more, believe him because he means it. Whatever we have done in the past, it can't be done, undone. Philippians 3.13. But God reminds you and I every day the blessings we have in him. One of those being forgiveness. Accept it. He knows we're not perfect. But every day, he offers us forgiveness. And it's sitting there right on the table. Don't leave it. Take it. Romans 8.32. He did not spare his own son gave him up for all who will not how will he not also with him graciously give us all things the fourth thing we need to stay busy you know when Rahab heard about the God of Israel when her when she heard about the God of Israel and his great power she immediately came up with a plan to save her family she got to work so I think it's only right that if we want to receive freedom from our past we need to stay busy for the Lord and it would be a great benefit and start for all of us now everyone in here has a talent and so forth. And there's a place for everyone in God's kingdom to use their talent for his glory. Romans 12, 6 says, we all have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. So use them. Remember in Matthew 25, 14 through 30, we read about the master going on a journey. And he has these three servants and he gives them talents, right? And so we've got the five talent man who made five more. We have the two-talent man who made two more, but then we have the one-talent man, and he did what? He hid it. He hid his talent, and the master was displeased with him. I think the last thing that any of us wants to do is squander our talents for the Lord when he expects us to use them. And also, don't think for a second that just because you share a similar talent with someone that your talent is useless, because that is false. We are all different individuals, and I can guarantee you you come to my house for dinner, your interaction with me is gonna is gonna be completely different than the interaction you might have with the other Britain. I mean, we're two different Britons. We we got a lot going on, but at the end of the day, we're still two different Britons, and you're gonna have two different interactions with the both of us. Another way that we could stay busy for the Lord is we can invest in others, make meaningful friendships with the brethren. It's such an amazing experience when you connect with someone who has or is dealing with the same struggle you are and have dealt with. Earlier, we talked about venting it out and talking. That's part of building these meaningful relationships with these ladies that we will, we will all share heaven with. Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. And Proverbs 18, 24 says that a man, a man of many companions may come to ruin. There's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. So don't think, don't fool yourselves into thinking that you don't need anyone, because you do. We all need someone in our lives. We all need each other. Secondly, we can serve others. If we want to stay busy in the kingdom while also receiving freedom from our past, be on the lookout for those who are in need because they're everywhere. Mark 10, 45 reads, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life for a ransom for many. If we want to mimic Jesus, then serving needs to be a top priority. 
Now, really quick, you might say, oh, Brittany, those are great ideas, but I really don't know where to start or what my talent is. I have four quick questions you can ask yourself. What's a task or role that comes easy to you? What are you good at? What are your biggest character strengths? What do I genuinely enjoy doing? Our world right now is not perfect, and we all know that's because of sin. But one thing that is still true, the world needs light. They need the light of Christ, and they can only get that light through his disciples, Matthew 5, 16. We can't serve others or invest in others if we remain idle. We have to stay busy because time will come when work stops for all eternity. John 9, 4, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. Our fifth point, we need to focus on the glorious future. You know, nostalgia is a tricky sentiment, isn't it? Arm and I often talk about our past and the ridiculous things we did as teens and in our younger adult years. And I know some of you more, more seasoned ladies might be looking at us like, girl, you're still young. Yeah. <laughs> Let me tell you, these knees don't always feel like that. But at the end of the conversation, no matter what we've talked about, we're always thanking God for where we are in life. And we're always thanking God for what will be. If we all focus on what will be, the glorious future we have in Jesus, worrying about receiving freedom from our past will be a thing of the past. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18 reads, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Now, if you listen again, or if you're looking at verse 17 of 2 Corinthians 4, the beginning of verse 17 says, this light momentary. And as a Christian, this tells me two things. Number one, whatever I'm going through or have been through, it's light work. It's manageable. It is manageable. It will be manageable. And secondly, it's momentary, meaning it will not last. Think about Paul again. Paul was beaten, he was shipwrecked, and lied on. But he wrote Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon while in jail. He had sharp disagreements with his friends, Acts 15, 36 through 41, and he was separated from his friends, 1 Thessalonians 2, 17 through 18. He was a persecutor of the church, Galatians 1, 13, and he advocated the stoning of Stephen in Acts 7, 58. But despite all his afflictions, he still managed to write Romans 8, 18, which says, For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be, that is to be revealed to us. Paul understood that he had something more glorious to look forward to. He knew his earthly life was nothing but a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. James 4.14 In order for Paul to focus on his glorious future with Christ, he had to let go of what he used to be and who he was before God. Focusing on what used to be, that past, that nostalgia, it's of no benefit. And if we want to focus on what will be, we have to know that the past is the past and it's of no benefit of us, to us today. Philippians 1.21 For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Do you know who else understood this thought? 
Jesus. Jesus came to earth for you and me so that we could be assured of our glorious future with him. John 3, 17. In the beginning, when God created everything, Jesus was there. And when Adam and Eve fell from grace, Jesus was there. And before Jesus even created Adam and Eve, he knew that they would sin, and he still provided a way for them to be set free from the from the sins of their past. From the sins of their past, Genesis 3:15 and Isaiah 7:14. Sin and death into the world by one man, and God still provided a way to a glorious future for you and me through one man. Jesus knew that the world would hate him. He knew that he would be crucified. He had all the power to call 10,000 angels to come and minister unto him, Matthew 26, 53. But he suffered and remained focused on the main goal for you and me. He was mocked, spit upon, and cursed, and still pressed toward the goal for us. And when I was writing this, when I was putting this together, I don't know how much that resonates with you. And it resonated with me. And that's that's kind of a hard, like you did all of that for me. And who is Brittany Kim? Who, who am I compared to Jesus and what he did for me? But that's a big thing. He suffered more than I will ever know for me. Jesus knew the past you and I were going to have before we even did it. And he still found us worthy of saving. 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11 says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexual immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. You can just take that and put your name. And such were some of Britain and whoever else you want to stick in there. That's talking about us. And here's a newsflash. Nothing comes as a shock to God. He knows exactly who we are. Now just for a minute, put yourselves in the, in the assembly of the Corinthians. And you're hearing, you're hearing that being read to you. How do you feel? How do you think that they feel? To know that I'm, sit I'm sitting right next to someone who used to be a thief, but hey, I don't have the right to point the finger at them because guess what? I used to be a drunkard. I used to be sexually immoral. I used to do all these things that are being listed right here in 1 Corinthians 6 through 9. And yet through all that, Jesus still decided to suffer for me when I wasn't worthy of it. He did it for me anyway. None of us had an inheritance in the kingdom of God. Paul says all of us were engaged in sin, sinful activity. None of us gets to point the finger at anybody because we've all sinned, Romans 3.23. But if you look at the remaining part of verse 11, it reads, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. The end of this, the latter half of this verse is interesting because all three beings of the Godhead are mentioned, which means it took all three of the beings of the Godhead to save us from our sin. Think about it this way. If you're out there swimming and the current gets you and you're drowning, but you're drowning like bad, bad, but it's a lifeguard up there, but it's like one and he's like, oh, she drowning bad, bad. Like, I need help. Like, I can't do this by myself. That's what 
what the Godhead did for us. That's what the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They said, these people down here, they like seeking sin bad, bad. And all three of us need to be involved to save them from their sins. When it comes to our salvation, all of Godhead is involved. Not one of us gets to say, I only needed Jesus. Well, guess what? I only needed the Father. I'll talk to you one. I only needed the Holy Spirit. No, we needed all three of them. We were all lost, but we all come to God the same way. No sin is worse than the other. The sexually immoral, the drunkard, the thief, the thief, all come to God in the same way. And when we do, God says to us, you were justified, which is to say it was just as if you had never sinned. Romans 3.26 and 4.25. We are washed clean, Titus 3.5. And we are sanctified, 1 Peter 1.2. John 10.14-15 and verse 18 says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 18 no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. No matter where we come from or what we did, we all have an inheritance to the glorious future with God, and we all receive it in the same way. Rahab, she understood this, and she didn't let an earthly title of what she used to be stop her from getting that new future. Rahab has a title attached to her name that the world cannot let go. But she focused on a new title she knew she could receive from God if she repented. And that title is a title that all of us want to be associated with today. Rahab the Redeemed. When the world saw a harlot, God saw an individual that did, that did great things for his namesake and his people. He saw her penitent heart and he forgave it. It didn't matter who or what she was before God. She was forgiven and a new being by the grace of God. We could be so much more effective in the kingdom of God if we could just stop remembering and let go of the things that God has long ago forgiven and forgotten. We may not be able to forget and wipe our memory clean like God can, but the Bible commands us to try. Romans 8, 1 through 2, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Beating ourselves up over our past failures and constantly rehearsing what can't be undone does nothing to change the past and everything to damage our future. If you're on your way to Disney and you catch a flat tire, you deal with the situation and you head to the place where dreams come true and where you're going to spend a ton of money. <laughs> the point is, is you are no longer worried about the flat tire. If you're in school and you're getting ready to receive your degree and you're one test away but you fail that test, but you're offered an opportunity to retake the test and you pass, the last thing you're worrying about is that past test score. In fact, I'm pretty sure you're overjoyed that you passed and it's done. You're no longer worried about the past and what was. You're focused on what is right now. You all know those blue bowls with the painted gold cracks in them? It's called Kintsugi. 
and it's the Japanese art of putting broken pottery pieces back together with gold. It's a metaphor for embracing your flaws and imperfections. We live in a broken world due to sin. So you're going to have a broken world filled with broken individuals. But we have a perfectly good God who says to Rahab and who says to us, you don't have to stay broken. He reminds us that he can fix us if we let him. The cracks are the sins of our past, but all of our cracks have been sealed, not with gold dust, but with the blood of Christ. Ephesians 1, 7 through 8. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom. Rahab received freedom from her past, and so can we. But only if we desire to have the same mindset mindset Rahab demonstrated. Recognize that God is able to save to the uttermost, and he wants to. But we also have to know that we are worthy of God's love and his forgiveness. And when we accept his forgiveness, we need to recognize that he no longer cares about who you were previously. He wants all of the new you right now. So don't look back anymore. Stay focused on what's ahead and what will be. My final verse to you. Jonah 2, 5 through 7. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head in the roots of the mountain. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up, brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you and to your holy temple.